Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who once took a rowboat to London. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, it was a long, hard, hard trip. Uh, but fortunately, I was only going to London, Ohio, and there's a river that right. flows directly. Right. No. Um, and you had stolen some sailor's clothes, so you were okay. Before we get into the podcast, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want to support us, keep us going. Uh, Which you do, of course. <laughs> we are very grateful for those who do. Uh, for just a dollar a month over there, you get access to a bonus episode and you get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. I mean, it's probably going to be that movie, that Dave Foy movie, Like, but let's be honest. <laughs> I did I did talk to Pat before the podcast about trying to trick you all into voting for a specific Dave Foley movie from 1997. So wait, wait, if the theme uh, is Dave the Foley guy, movies, like, a hilarious movie that I watched last night. Uh, highly recommend. Anyway, um, I put together a list over there every month, uh, usually themed. Uh, sometimes the theme is actors who's starring in it, movies from a certain director, or uh, movies on a certain topic, or just inspired by one of the movies we watched on the main podcast. It's pretty eclectic. Uh, sometimes it's suggested by our Patreon supporters. Um, so uh, I put together that list, and you guys get to vote on it. Number five on the five... There's five items on the list, and number five is always the 1996 movie Kazam, uh, the Shaquille O'Neal starring children's genie movie, uh, which they have voted for once, and we have watched once, and it's not a great movie, but it's not the worst movie we watched over there. That, hands down, is the Will Ferrell kicking and screaming Possibly the worst movie I've ever seen. Certainly the worst movie I've ever seen that actually got a wide release. Uh, but yeah, for just a dollar a month, you get to uh, you get to vote. You get access to those non-criterion bonus episodes, and uh, yeah, we've also watched good stuff over there. Like, uh, um, yes, we um, have. That's true. <laughs> can't just I can't think of any now. Like Dog Day <laughs> Afternoon, and uh, we've watched. Uh, um, the Best Years of Our Lives is a very good movie. Uh, Louis Malle's God's Country, his documentary on uh, Reagan-era yeah, Midwest America. I really enjoyed um, that. And I think that, that actually, yeah. the things that that showed me have kind of not changed my outlook, but have definitely clarified some things that right, right. about the way America has progressed over the last you know few decades. Yeah, those, those seats are old. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, and yeah, and hearing essentially the same bullshit that like has just grown. Yeah, exactly yeah. from those seeds. It's just like, oh, it's the same stuff. It's just yeah more now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we watch a, a lot of interesting stuff over there, uh, and we uh, we more frequently have guests over there. Our friend Donovan Hill's been on a lot of episodes over there. Our friend Stephen Goldmeyer uh, sat in when we discussed Hudson Hawk over there, uh, which uh, is Pat and I's. Uh, ostensibly Pat and I's favorite movie. Uh, it is. That, uh, that I think neither of us had watched since we started doing the podcast. No, <laughs> no we have Because I don't even own a copy of it. Uh, right. For good reason, uh, because you can ruin a movie by watching it too much. It's, it's true. It's it. true. It's true. Uh, yeah. Almost certainly. Anyway, we had fun over there, and we'd love your support. Just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash lost in criterion for a little extra $5 a month. We do like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adam Speakerman and to Kevin Little for your continued $5 a month support. A little above that, $10 a month and above, we do something that I think is actually really special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the films we've watched recently. Uh, and I get it printed up on a postcard and then write a little thank you note to, uh, to you, the supporter, and mail that off. So if you like physical mail, uh, if you like... Uh, Bespoke Which art you do. pieces, you definitely uh, do, and we know you all do. Uh, that's ten dollars and above, and we also thank those people on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath, our two supporters at that level right yes, now. Thank you. Uh, they've been supporting us for a while, and they are keeping us going definitely. 
and we greatly enjoy that. But yeah, head over to patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want in on that. Which you do. Which you do. Being this very week, positive this week. <laughs> this week we are talking about a silent German film from 1929 uh, called Pandora's Box. Die Busch der Pandora. Uh, literally Pandora's Box in the German. Yeah. It had actually been... Uh, I believe it had been adapted for film prior to this as well. Uh, but it's based on a stage play from uh, from the early... That must have been uh, a hell of a stage play. Early 20th or late, late 19th century. Um, it is directed by uh, G.W. Pabst, uh, George Wilhelm Pabst. Uh, interestingly, the star of this is an American, which is a little... A little well, less you could weird get away with that in the silent stuff, era, right? Yeah. right? We've talked about the uh, the trend of Italian films from from the mid twentieth century of of hiring an American star and then just overdubbing them, right? Um, well, if you don't have to overdub, that's even you know, yeah, that gets a lot uh, easier, right? Louise Brooks uh, had been under contract to Paramount. She was in the middle of a uh, salary dispute. And Paramount decided that they were done with her, and she was done with Paramount. And at the same time, Pabst had been trying to contact Paramount about hiring her out. Uh, and so when they were fired, when she, when she was fired or quit, depending on which side of that conversation right. actually took place first, but but they were headed to a head either way. Uh, Paramount passed along that that Pabst had wanted her, uh, but. In taking that job, in leaving her Paramount contract and taking that job in Germany, she was essentially blacklisted in the U.S. She never worked for an American production again. Uh, yeah. She did not make a lot more movies. Uh, she starred in this, and she starred in another movie for Pabst, um, and then essentially retired from acting. Uh, her, uh, her autobiography, uh, which she wrote, I think, in the 70s or 80s, uh, is called Lulu in Hollywood and is widely regarded as one of the best uh, best autobiographies about Hollywood in that era. Uh, I've not read it, but um, she is well respected. Uh, her look, particularly in this film, uh, is widely regarded as the inspiration for the flapper stereotype. Those, uh, those very uh, sharp bangs and uh, the bob that comes to a point. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she uh, she actually she sent a telegram to Paps to let him know that she had finally heard his offer and would expect would accept. Paps was actually in his office when he received it with Marlene Dietrich signing on for this role wow. when he got when he got the notice that Brooks could do it. And he wanted Brooks to do it. He thought Dietrich was too old and too worldly looking to successfully play the uh, the part as he envisioned it. And he wanted Brooks to do it. He had seen her in a, um, I think a Griffith film where she played a circus performer. Uh, and he wanted her to do it. Well, yeah, like I said, she took the job and she never worked in Hollywood again. So, yeah. Oh, man, Hollywood. So, yeah, just uh, one of those interesting things where if a, if a telegram uh, had been 30 more seconds late, uh, right. a lot of film history might have changed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Um, this, this is 1929 Germany, right? It's, uh, right. it's Weiner Republic, Germany. Um, Paps actually, uh, interestingly enough, um, when the Nazis came to power, Paps left the country, but he moved back in 1939. He actually made a movie starring Lenny Reffenstahl, uh, at some point in his career. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, after the war, he was sort of cleared of being a Nazi. He... He made it through that sort of thing. Right. Uh, but, uh, 
but didn't, uh, I don't think his career, really, if I remember yeah, reading I mean, correctly. Yeah, that happened, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just an interesting choice to move back in 39, especially when you left when they came to power. Uh, I guess. Right. No. I don't know. Yeah, that that is a very strange... Yeah. Why you would? There's. I wonder. I, you gotta wonder, right? There must be some reason. There must be something that we don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't want to read too much into it. But thinking about the sexual politics of this film, this film is definitely a condemnation of female promiscuity. Oh, absolutely. And one hundred percent. And part of part of the cultural pushback of the Nazis coming to power was against the the sexual liberation of the late Weimar Republic, right? right. Um, you know, the, famously, the the huge book burning was was of the research of the Sexual Institute. So, I mean, it's possible that on a certain cultural level, perhaps agreed with the with I the mean, make, it is the make Germany great again stuff. Possible. Yeah, I don't want to suggest that. And obviously, as I said, after the war, he was cleared of any any sort of Nazi affiliation. But, yeah, uh, but that doesn't that doesn't we we you know, right no, that doesn't that mean doesn't a mean hell of a lot. lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, yeah, he obviously obviously had a movie that's a morality tale about um, about that. But at the same time, uh, Lulu's character, Luis's character of Lulu in this film, uh, is very accurate to her actual life. I mean, she wasn't a prostitute. Uh, by any means, but uh, but she was bisexual. Uh, she was very openly open in her sexuality. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, she talks about how uh, everyone on set hated her, uh, uh, and she only and and thought thought that Paus had hired her uh, because of uh, of sexual favors. Um. But uh, she actually was only attracted to. She only found one guy on the entire set sexually attractive, and it was the guy who plays Jack the Ripper, Gustav oh, Diesel. Um, uh, yeah, um, which is interesting too. But she frequently would show up on set hungover or or still drunk from the night before, and uh, and until uh, and still pops uh, convinced her to maybe let up a little bit, had been exploring uh, Weimar Berlin's uh, nightclub scene, which was very, very sexually liberated uh, with uh, male and female, straight and homosexual prostitution uh, widespread. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Germany was a... It was possibly, possibly one of the most sexually liberated uh, societies of the time. <laughs> probably, probably the most sexually liberated society at the time. And then five years later, it was well, a fascist yeah, state. Yeah, that's how it goes, yeah. right? I guess. I guess that's how it goes. Shouldn't it be how it goes, Pat? <laughs> no, I, I agree. But like, it does seem to like I don't know. It's just yeah. I, yeah. It, it's that it's that classic. Steps forward and then back, right? Yeah. Feeling, right? Yeah. But Pabst liked her. Um, and Pabst, you know, convinced her to, to relax a little bit on that stuff. But he didn't, like, fire her over it or threaten to fire her over it. Um, so it's it's weird that the movie has that moralisticness to it. Right. But, uh, um, interestingly enough, the... There exists a few different, dramatically different cuts of this film. Uh, in the French cut, um, there are no lesbian undertones. Uh, uh, it's recut so that Alwa is not Sean's son, but his secretary. Uh, that okay. the Countess is Lulu's childhood friend. Uh, and that Lulu is found innocent during the court case. What? Okay. Pre- presumably that's, eliminating that's, the last hour of the film. What? Yeah. How would that? I mean, I guess. Like, okay. Like, being being serious for a second. Um, 
about this absolutely insane movie. Um, it's possible, right? Because just because you are like, when we look at the way it unfolds, I mean, you especially since you get to just fucking write whatever you want on those cards, right? Right, right. Um, you don't have to. The the only way to end up in the scenario that she is in is is not to have committed a crime, right? You know what I mean? Like that whole second half is just about is just about exploitation, right? Like it, right. So like you, it only takes like you know. I can I can imagine you could still have that section. I don't. You would change it a little bit, but it wouldn't be actually. I don't think as dramatic as we imagined it would be. Uh, it's like, well, you owe me money, kind of shit, right? Um, yeah. It's interesting though that they decided to get rid of that, <laughs> just because like that is that is definitely a weird choice. But uh, yeah, okay. Um, so the the American version uh, is largely similar to what we watched, except. Uh, Lulu sur- survives the ending and herself joins the Salvation Army. Let, let's be clear here. That is an acceptable ending because the ending is batshit fucking insane. <laughs> like, like I don't know. Like, this is like Terrell's Listen. gun, but if, like, the gun is, like, shows up in the last ten seconds of the movie, it's like, <laughs> bang! Like, it's, whoa, where the fuck did that come from? Uh, this makes no sense. It is wildly, like, nonsensical. Yeah. The last 15 minutes of this movie is just... The most out of left field ending to anything it, it, we've ever it seen. It really, really feels to me like somebody was like, "Well, how the fuck do we end this?" I know Jack the Ripper, bam, and then just—it's it's not even—it's not even she has to die for playing with men's hearts. It's that she has to be murdered by Jack the Ripper because when they traveled to London, somehow they traveled forty years back in time. Yeah, they're time travelers too. Like. And it I, happens. I, it happens yeah. that her first successful John is Jack is a reformed Jack the Ripper, who doesn't have any money, and she decides that she likes him, so she's going to take him back to her apartment anyway. And then he sees a knife and can't control himself and murders her, it which does. is wild. Okay, like there's so much wild about that. Like it's just, I can't even. I mean, like it's actually almost. Number one, I did not process him as Jack the Ripper. I had to find that out from Wikipedia because un- I guess you and I work differently. My immediately, my immediate thought was like, wait a minute, Jack the Ripper's definitely dead. Yeah, it can't be Jack the like, Ripper. He is because ninety he's dead. fucking years old. <laughs> yes. or dead. Like, like I, that was my immediate reaction. I was like, wait a minute, this is who is this knife guy supposed to be? Because like, he seems to have a real proclivity for knives. I should investigate, and then, yeah, sure enough. I think I, maybe Weimar Germany had the same view of London that uh, that a lot of Americans have. Everybody has? This pop culture around. thing where, where London still exists in in the uh, Victorian age, the like, Edwardian I'm, age. I'm, I'm okay with that if you turn it into, like, some, some fucked up science, like, science fiction. That's fine. <laughs> like, go for it. Like, so, I'm on board. So, so you'd be okay with it if the Salvation Army had some steampunk gear? With oh yeah, for sure. Like, let's be clear here. I hate steampunk. Okay, <laughs> I despise steampunk. What I least, do love, though, is is anachronism. If they have, if they had cut to London and there was a, if there was a, an airship above the Thames, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, that, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, no, I'd then say, it would all make but sense. I don't see. Actually, I don't. Let's be clear here. I don't. I do not hate steampunk. My problem is, is I hate. The weird, like the weird sort of almost like Gonzo steampunk, like yes, where it's like oh, like it's steampunk that is like, what if they figured this thing out a little bit early? Okay, steampunk that is like oh, it's essentially running on steampunk magic because there's no fucking way you could do this. That's that becomes problematic for me. I don't, yeah. you know. I don't need any Wild Wild West shit. Well, actually, Wild Wild West is is a weird one in the sense that, like, it is... It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it, no. it's not as magical. No, of course, it, it may not be that they're time-traveling. A time-traveling Jack the Ripper is a well-established uh, oh, literary yeah, trope. Oh, yeah, it could definitely so. be that. Yeah. <laughs> what is that movie? Like, time okay, After Time? Like, yes, about Time this, After so, Time. Yeah, Malcolm yeah, McDowell. The, the time traveling Jack the Ripper is a is a wild one, just because of all the people in the whole universe, 
to have accidentally stumbled into time travel. It's fucking <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Well, it's Jack the Ripper because H.G. Wells also exists in that universe, and, and H.G. Wells, and Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells in Time After Time. Um, yeah. For a, I, there's I there's at least that. I, there are there are other instances of time traveling Jack the Ripper where I don't know that's necessarily H.G. Wells, but uh, but that is the justification in Time After Time that Jack the Ripper steals time travel from H.G. Wells, if I remember correctly. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up. The fact that he only travels thirty years into the future and then regrets mm. regrets his murders for a little bit. Uh, is maybe a different thing, but, yeah. but this movie this movie is insane. Uh, interestingly, also to this movie, uh, I think there is a way to watch this movie from a certain perspective and not pick up on the lesbian overtones or, or subtext. I I mean, y- yeah, it, it's called. I mean, to be it's honest, it's called willful it's, willful delusion. Yes, yeah, it <laughs> is. It is. It is that for sure. Um, I, I would also say that, like, it's, it's problematic, though, because luckily the movie does telegraph that information through, like, body language, which is helpful, because it's also definitely trying to do it with, like, stereotypes. Yeah. It's like, oh, she wears a suit because she's a lesbian. It's like, yeah. well, wait a minute. Whoa. Like, um, that's, that's a stereotype that you're operating with, but, like... Luckily, now, they also do. She also does like just like longingly look at her. And stuff yes, like that, so yes. That longingly look. They dance together. Um, Alice Roberts uh, during production uh, expressed uh, resistance to playing a lesbian. So that was that was a planned thing and not subtext um, or or forced a forced reading. Right. Right. So so often there is a uh, a uh, whitewashing. A straight washing of uh, homosexual relationships in older media by saying, right. "Oh, that's not what they meant then. Uh, that's what Paps meant here. That is definitely right. what yes. Paps meant here. Um, they are not just very good friends. I'm sure that's why the French, the French version turns it into childhood friends, right? Um, but that is not that is not Paps' point in this cut of the film." Um, and Roberts knew it, and Roberts did not necessarily like it. Um, but yeah, she's just running around wearing tuxedos, um, which again is is German Weimar um, butch fashion, right? There were right. there were certainly femme lesbians in in Weimar Germany too, uh, but but that is uh, well, I mean, again, they're trying to telegraph it for an audience right. that that is operating under well, I know what that is, um, right, right, which is which sucks, but you know, yeah. And Lulu's very femme, as far as that's concerned. Right. And she's also bisexual, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> we are two straight white guys talking about sexuality yeah. here. This is what this is a it's, thing we don't want to be doing. It's a right bit. Now. It's a bit outside our wheelhouse, but it is interesting that this film is uh, is so open about it, and that where it's a problem. Of course. Uh, does the Countess die? She disappears from the narrative. Why does she disappear from the narrative? Um, she disappears from the narrative because this movie has a weird sense of uh, what's it, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Whatever the opposite of like conservation <laughs> of characters is. <laughs> Whatever like, the guess, opposite like, of coherency is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. But like, I mean, just working on the idea that like this this movie is like, oh, well, we're done with this character. Well, chuck him in the bin. We don't need him anymore. Uh, except for like when it brings back people who just have no bit. Like, I need to ask some very serious questions. So the countess gives how Lulu the fuck do all passport. these people keep showing up? <laughs> when they run, they run with Shigolch uh, and uh, whoever the mm-hmm. the promoter is. Uh, are you talking about? Oh, wait, are you talking about? Yes, yeah, they do. Yeah, and then they end up like getting stopped by that other guy who's like, "Well, I I can take you to this other pl- this boat, yeah, where you can work and make lots of money and be safe." Yes. Only I'm going to try to sell you, which is fucked up. Yes. Um. Yeah, and then Quast wants the money, and and Alwa spends all his time trying to win money at the illegal gambling table. 
and then starts to cheat in order to facilitate that. Um, well, he specifically starts to he specifically starts cheating because because this movie ties everything to Lulu and makes everything literally every bad decision in the movie her fault. Yes, uh, it does. It specifically ties that to her need for money. Now, mind right. you, her need for money is driven by the fact that she's about to be sold into slavery. Right. Um, but that the movie does not seem to care about that as a, some sort of mitigating factor. Right. It just doesn't. Uh, and so, as a result, it needs to tell you that it has to. It has to tell you that oh, he didn't start cheating at cards. I mean, yeah, he's already a, 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 obviously addi- obviously addicted to gambling, but he didn't right. become a gambling cheat until she made him be one. Right. Right. Because that's the kind of movie this is. Yeah. The moralizing of this movie is bad. Um, the idea that it, of what it's trying to moralize against is actually interesting, right? Because, right. because it's something from 1929, moralizing against uh, bisexuality and, uh, and promiscuity, uh, and it's just it's not something that that films of this time that we're used to right i mean keep in mind you and i have watched moralizing movies from not like from america circa like 10 years later that that moralize in these saddest sort of vague ways about right right like about sexuality because they they're they're absolutely afraid to even even when they're moralizing about it afraid to like bring it up right uh, which is, which is fascinating. I think. Right. Uh, that you're you're absolutely right about that. Um, the fact that the countess is not is seemingly not punished. She disappears from the narrative when she gives Lulu her passport, and well, they can't both travel on the same passport. So theoretically, no, that she doesn't disappear. Does she Does come she? back? I I don't remember seeing it, her again after that. Isn't the Countess? Wait now now I'm getting confused because it's all black and white and I have this problem. Yes. Isn't the Countess the same? Oh no! For some reason, my mind told me that the Countess and her her lesbian lover were the same person. Oh no, they are. They are. That's right. who I mean. So she gets she gets like. Is she, she on the gets boat? Rape slash murders the oh. uh, the one friend the other. Okay, I do not know the names of any of the characters then you're going to need to learn them in the next two seconds so fuck um okay let me go look at the wikipedia i need need the wikipedia page open to do it okay okay so quast yes and her have a fake they are both trying to manipulate the other and for whatever reason um the countess emerges as the police arrive screaming bloody murder and quast is dead Quas the guy who tries to blackmail Lulu. One of them. Yeah, the one who wants money so he can set up a fake wedding, I guess? He's getting married and he wants to start a new show, Is was my understanding of that. Okay, but see, like, I, I don't again, know. In my mind, because miss- I'm, I'm broken inside <laughs> my head, like, him agreeing to get married and then immediately demanding costumes and money was, was part of the was, I was like, oh, this is some yeah. sort of weird scam wedding. <laughs> I was like, oh, we just need a certain number of costumes. The thing, of, the thing about a silent film, you miss one title card and you're kind of lost for context. Yeah, no, and I rewound a lot when yeah. I was watching this movie, okay? A lot. And, like, I saw, like, oh, we're getting engaged. Oh, we need costumes and we need money. And I was like, oh, well, this is a scam wedding. Like, there's the costumes are for the people who are going to barge in and, like, yes. pretend to murder me or I okay. don't know. Like, but you are, those kind of things. you are right that uh, – Schlagig, or however you say his name, the uh, the old man pimp, uh, her her former patron, as he is introduced in the in, in, in possibly the most subtle the movie has ever at right, all, yeah. um, convinces Gershwitz, the Countess, uh, to no, he can okay, it's worse than that. Like you and I are going to have to have like run through the story of this because I think we both got blackmails, blackmails. Gershwitz. He convinces Quast, yeah. That she, the, the countess is in love with him. Okay, and that yes. the countess, if he just, if he just makes eyes at her, she'll give him money. While simultaneously, Lulu does the same. Now, mind you, Lulu is, as far as I can tell from the story, not in on this plan. 
Okay. He was, he was not. Cons- she was not consulted in the making <laughs> right. of this plan, as far as I know, based on on title cards. Okay. Lulu convinces Gershwitz, Geshwitz, sorry, Geshwitz, uh, the Countess, that 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 Quast, uh, Quast is in love with her, and that if she goes to Quast and like throws herself at him, he'll agree to not turn Lulu into the police. Okay. Thus, they are both. In in bad '90s sitcom fashion, <laughs> thrown to him into a room. He's, as far as I can tell, based on lead ups, not interested in her sexually. Yeah. But then a ten, But he's under the. It's actually kind of tragic in this really weird, fucked up movie sort of way, right? He's convinced that she desperately wants him. Yeah. So, even though he has expressed that he's not sexually attracted to her, he goes after her really. Like right, intensely, and, right, and she reads it wrong because she's also not interested because she's a lesbian, and 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 just feels like she's being attacked, obviously, which she right. is. But like you know, it's all it is actually in a weird way a misunderstanding. Yes, uh, a, a bad misunderstanding because they're both bad, being bad people, but then she murders him. Yes, and she does murder him, uh, and you are right about that. I I had forgotten that she even shows up on the boat. Uh, she's like wandering. It it is. <laughs> Fucking weird, Adam. Because, because it doesn't make sense. People shouldn't that she... be in places, and they just are. Like, yeah. why were the two? Okay. As far as I can tell, when they get on the train, Lulu and the son, whose name is escaping me, Alwa. Alwa, sorry, yeah, Alwa are running away together. Yes, right. That is the intention. So how, uh, <coughs> like. Shigolch uh, and and Quas get onto that train in time to catch them is beyond me. I assume Shigolch comes along because he is someone that Lulu trusts. Right, but the movie doesn't tell us that. Well, the movie doesn't exactly tell us. That. The movie tells us that they're running away together because that's what she proposes to all of them. I mean, and that's then a- they're just on the train. Another thing about silent film is that you actually, you know, so much of it is. Assumed dialogue from the words you can actually make out and facial right. expressions, right? Well, but, and then my problem with facial expressions is I am bad at reading them. Right, right. Which puts me in a bad situation because um, I didn't know she was guilty for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I rewound that. So, okay, here's what happened. She stand up. I'm like, well, these are either tears of joy or tears of sadness. I can't yeah. tell. Uh, and then, yes, a riot does break out afterwards, but a riot could break out after either of them. And so I went into this weird mental loop where I kept trying to see if I missed a title card where they say, you're guilty. Yeah. Or like, and, and, and it did that prior to the sentencing. So I rewound that scene like 20 times probably, trying to see if I was missing something. And then it, like as it progressed, like, oh, they're doing this in a weird fucked up way where <laughs> they're going to, and now like... Where we're gonna have a, a little mini riot, and then we'll announce the sentence. Yeah. So I, it was bad. This I, I couldn't read that facial expression. It was bad. It was real bad. It was all, it was all just a mess. Okay. All right. Did you at least successfully read the most blatant facial expression in the movie when she is found uh, backstage with uh, Schlon and and gets that? Oh, and smirk. she's like, I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't. I caught some of them. Just some of them yeah. are a little bit too subtle for me. Right. Um, that one was obvious. It's like, oh, I'm gonna this. I'm gonna fuck this up right here. There's, um, yeah. There, there's some sort of conflicting information on uh, Brooks as an actress um, here. That's interesting. On the one hand, uh, one reading, one thing I found describes Paps as just giving her a singular emotion to emote each take. Okay. Um, so that you can you can better understand <laughs> what she's okay. trying to present. Um, but at the same time, Brooks as an actress is described as being uh, almost in no need of a director. She walks into a scene and immediately knows what it needs and what she needs to do. Um, okay. Because she's just that that great an actress. Um, okay. And that that comes from one of the essays, um, or the only essay, rather, uh, with this one. And uh, so, yeah, that's a, a little conflicting in information. But nonetheless, um, 
ideally, in watching this movie, she should only be presenting sort of one one emotional state at a time. Right. Um, so that you, you better understand what's going on. And obviously, during the trial, that gets confusing because, again, are tears sadness or are tears joy? Is she sad right. because she's yeah. being convicted or just sad because this person that she actually did love, uh, she accidentally murdered? Um, right. Also, yeah, Schwann... Mean, Sean looks like Frasier, which got a little distracting for me. Um, <laughs> kept expecting what? Crash his car? I don't know. I don't know what I expected. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it... it um, yeah, it, it does get a little confusing, and, and I, most of the time it's quite good. Like, actually, honestly speaking, most of the time she's actually putting on fairly... She's got fairly complicated and complex facial expressions, which yeah. work well. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> Sometimes they're like simplistic uh but that does help me so i don't know it's the silent movies are are a tough one for me and i think for most people who are used to sound films and uh especially i've never watched one that's nearly this epic right in in scope right like i've just never sat down and we've we've watched silent films on this show i've watched them. But we we oh, haven't seen own. a lot of silent films with no, we have not. Collection so far. And 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 I have watched some on my own, but like even then this is probably this is if this is not the longest one, it's definitely one of the longest ones I've ever seen and it's certainly the most complex story-wise. Uh which which is hard. That's that's hard to deal with, right? Yeah. I mean, thinking about what other Whatever silent films have we actually seen so far? Because it's obviously um, the first one that we watched uh, for this. The earliest was Nanook of the North. And Nanook of the North right. is doing very different things because it purports to right. be a documentary. I mean, that's, that's a different so the title thing, yeah. card establishes what the scene is going to show us more than right. more than uh, telling us anything else. Um, was one of the Uzos, one of the like floating floating weeds or whatever... One of the early Uzos, uh, there was a silent version been, of it. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and an Uzo film um, is, even a silent Uzo film is its own animal, too. So Right, yeah. No, well, and and like uh, most of the things I found that were in this wheelhouse, I watched in college uh, through the yeah. film classes I took. And, and again, I've just never, I never, I never sat through two hours, or like, a, what, like an hour, two hour silent? Yeah. It just never yeah. happened. This is just, it's and they, very And long. again, this one, the, the storyline in this one, would be un uncomfortably complex even for an audio film. Yeah. Oh, and The Passion like, of Joan of Arc. The Passion of Joan of Arc right, is, okay. is certainly another silent film, but The Passion of Joan of Arc, it is impossible to miss the facial uh right. The emotions that the facial expressions are trying to portray because The Passion of Joan of Arc is at 95% uh <laughs> close-ups of Joan of Arc's face, uh, right. which is it's a phenomenal movie and one of the best one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, yeah, right. But it, it is yeah, it is just radically different. Like Joan of Arc, Passion of Joan of Arc, basically doesn't need cards. Right, right. It just doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Where this one, see the Criterion essay in talking about the New York cut or the American cut and saying that you know it ends with Lulu joining the Salvation Army too. Um, the author says, "Small wonder that the New York Times deemed it a disconnected melodrama." Yeah, that that changed the <laughs> ending is that, not no matter what yeah. that changed the ending is not what makes this a disconnected melodrama. <laughs> the entire film is just disconnected melodrama, uh, and it's whether or not we can get into that is the question. Not <laughs> like this movie was written off by uh, by critics for decades, uh, right, and for. Good reason. It's got some yeah, very like interesting this, things going on, is, but is the, like, the story yeah. is disconnected. It is. That's a, that's my problem. Is that it, it? There's with all these sorts of things when you're like, well, it was written off by blah blah. Like, whenever we deal with that kind of phrasing, it makes it sound like the movie doesn't deserve that commentary, yeah. and it absolutely does. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, it is it is a hard to follow movie. Yeah, it just is. Uh, the New York Times actually goes on to uh, uh, call it a seldom interesting narrative, 
and says that the film that it was filmed far better than the story deserved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. I mean, so it's pretty it's, harsh. It's pretty harsh, um, and it, it blames the story for the problems. And admittedly, um, the story is about a a woman who loves sex so much that she has to die. So. Maybe I kind of agree that the story has a lot of problems too. Right. Yeah. Um, and the the pacing's not great, and the way it, the way it plays out, the fact that this is over two hours long uh, to tell a story that did not need two hours to tell. Um, right. But it is phenomenally shot. It is. Yeah. No. It's very. It's very beautiful. It's yeah. it's very it's very atmospheric and moody. I I like all that. But you know. <sighs> Um, That's traded off with like a lot of a lot of baggage. I did the musical track accompanying the Criterion release. Uh, I found a little off-putting, especially at first, because it it almost felt like a military march during some of the early uh, scenes. Yeah, yeah. It got it got appropriately dirgy as the as the or the narrative went on. Uh, but uh, but there are early parts where like particularly where she's like excited excited to see. Uh, the old man again, um, and some other things where it's all like horns and drums, and it just. Well, and then my actually my my problem with it was less the the marchiness of it, but was the fact that like the movie it had a tendency to get kind of like circus calliope esque a lot. Too, yes, yes, which I do not enjoy in a um, in a silent film at all, especially since we've seen silent films that use more orchestral mixing that this just isn't most of the time and i it felt a little bit too much like well i mean we 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 brought in the circus band here to right perform right. our 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 high our uh, highly intense melodrama with a with the circus uh band yeah. i'm thinking about the american cut and and lulu joining the salvation army and that's that wouldn't be a satisfactory ending to this either, right? Because the, no, but the like, fact I that mean, the entire narrative is is based on it's bad. It's bad to Lulu. The entire narrative is just bad to Lulu, right? Um, and she doesn't need to be redeemed for for anything that's been happening here. So the idea that she is redeemed in death or redeemed in religious conversion, both are bad. Right. Well, yes, absolutely. But I mean, that, but they are equally bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Her getting just random murdered, right, is no better or worse than her finding God, right. In terms of like ending a story, because they both come out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, and I would I would argue that get okay. I would argue that in some ways, the finding God thing makes more sense can, in the sense that the movie's supposed to be about how bad this stuff is. Yeah. But it doesn't earn it. Like, it would need to put a whole arc of her being, yeah. you know, like, and learning, right? And even uh, with how the narrative exists, Alwa Alla getting saved from, uh, from the fate of being in love with Lulu by finding God is also icky. It's bad. Yeah. yeah it's, that, that is actually grosser. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that she's... Because the whole movie is based on that sort of that temptress bullshit thing, right? So if you do that the whole time and then, and then be like, well, it's like one, it's one final, like sort of like, you know, kicking the dead horse of like, well, the only way to escape this death spiral is by God. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it, the whole thing is gross. Like, I mean, it just is, but I mean, my biggest problem is that like, neither of those endings is earned. But her getting murdered is 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 grosser, right? But like only in in a sort of high conceptual way, where you're like, well, I mean, she's finally get you know if you if you process it the wrong if you process it the way they probably do want you to process it, which is like the only thing that could stop her, and she finally got what she deserved, or so is is. A really gross way to process it, but if you process it in a purely sort of meta storytelling way, they're both stupid. 
You, you know what I mean? Like, it depends yeah. on whether you process it from a sort of, like, um, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this, whether you're, you're processing this based on, like, social critique or whether you're processing based on, like, storytelling. It's bad either way, but, like, for different reasons. Yeah. Because, I mean, no, no matter what you do, no matter what ending, they're all super, they're, they're all going to be super disjointed because the movie doesn't actually set itself up for an ending. Right. It, it is it is Alfred Hitchcock's presents. I couldn't figure out how to end the movie, so I kept writing it for eight acts, and then I just gave up and wrote. And then he was then she was stabbed by Jack the Ripper. Right. Like I, I accidentally wrote this very very long rambling movie that is probably five to six acts too long, <laughs> uh, and then I couldn't end it. Kept going, kept adding on to it, and then I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm tired. I, I she do, gets stabbed by Jack the Ripper. On that note, I do kind of like that uh, we get a title card for each each act break, and they just keep coming. It's like, yeah, no, no. Like there's there's a dozen acts in this movie. Adam, I I, I I've I've seen Twitter posts and stuff by people who are like watching a bad movie and that like they get to like they get to some event and they're like, well, then I hit pause and I was only 30 minutes into the movie. There's like comedians who have that as a joke yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But legitimately, we got to the act break for after she been found guilty. I checked the time and I was like, oh shit. There's still an hour of this hour left. and 20 minutes of this movie left. <laughs> right, right. Oh, oh God. What's going to happen? Right. And Where then, could it possibly and, go from here? And yeah, then it goes and, in so many crazy places. Yeah. And then, like, I, I had a similar experience later on. I forget which act break it was after, but I was like, oh, this has got to be the end. Like, this has got to be where we wrap it up. And then, nope. Just keep going. Uh, it's it's wild. This movie, I'm really on a, a in a weird place with regards to this movie. Because in the sheer terms of, like... When I think about movies, sometimes it's nice to know a movie that is just batshit insane that you can introduce to people. But, like, could I ever introduce a movie that's moral thought process is this gross to people? I don't think so, right? I feel like my roommate walked in right as they were arriving in London in the narrative of this film. And and I had... uh, and he sat there with it and I'm like trying to think, <laughs> how do I explain what's going on in context of what's happened so far that he might understand any of this as I'm also trying to process the fact that I don't understand any of this. <laughs> like right. nothing, yeah, nothing here makes sense from what has happened previously. Uh, it is a complete, complete tangent. Uh, and I, I understand from a from the moralism of the movie that Lulu has to suffer the ultimate consequence here. I mean, I don't like it, but I understand. Right. Yes, yeah. Particularly films at the time. This is just how it's going to work. Like it's how it was, it's going it was to gonna, work. it was going to happen. Like there yeah. was. Yes, yeah. I totally. Agree. Uh, but to have it be Jack the Ripper in London, and it's insane. And they're living in a garret, and and none of it, and, and it's Christmas for some reason. And of course it, of course it is. So of course it's suddenly it's, Christmas. Suddenly Shane Black wrote the last fifteen minutes of this movie, and, <laughs> and then and then Alwa doesn't ever go back to check on his girlfriend, the one person who has ever shown her. Any amount of actual like love, right? It's really like, decides that he's too depressed and, and joins the Salvation Army parade instead. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot about it that is really fucked up. Like, like the movie. I I was very torn on the movie. It, it, in some ways about the message because the movie is always telling you that like her morality is bad. Yeah, like that her her white lifestyle is bad. But it also sometimes weirdly seems to have a pretty intense amount of sympathy for her. Yeah. In the sense that, like, it's also definitely telling you that, like, the things that are happening to her are bad. And then as as normal modern people, as we watch it, it's also constantly telling us in, in, a, in a sort of higher level of, of viewing 
And none of these things are really her fault. Yeah. Like, I mean, she makes some bad choices, but, like, a lot of shit just has nothing to do with her and everything to do with the guys who are in the, like, the men in the movie, right? Like, but, like, and it's one of those weird situations where somebody made a movie for a certain audience at a certain time period with a certain set of moral values, right? Yeah. Who, Who they knew would process the movie in a certain way. Then we transported it pretty far forward into the future. And then the people who are watching it then just can't really process it the way that it was intended to be processed because we just don't view the world that way. Yeah. It, it is a while. It has happened to us before, but this one is a pretty intense example of that in the sense that, like, I'm watching it and I'm like, somebody just wrote, like, essentially a weird Job's tale for this woman and then we're just going to watch her life get ruined over and over and over again. That's just a thing we're going to watch. And especially because the movie is from the time period it's from, it does make pretty explicit references to sex, but no sex actually happens. Uh, And so we end up in this weird, like, oh, she was hanging out in the bedroom with this person. Murder spree time. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, we we just as modern people are going to process that pretty differently, right? Um. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this movie does not have a complicated morality, and that is to the film's detriment, particularly right. and, and in I, how right. complicated the narrative is, as it right. wants to yes, have yeah. an oversimplified morality about it. Um, it yeah. is fascinating, though, and, and somewhat refreshing to me that critics from the time found the story hard to process yeah in the sense that like yes there's limits that are based on the fact that you and i are not from 1929 and then some of those limits are just based on the fact that this movie is poorly written yeah uh, and, and there's no way around that poorly strung together um so so we'll end on another trivia note um so while brooks was in berlin filming this um one of the reasons that she was out every night is that her boyfriend at the time uh, was in was in town with them, and it wasn't until he left that uh, that Paps felt like things calmed down enough that he could actually make his movie. Um, uh, through the twenties and thirties, uh, Louis Brooks was romantically linked to George Preston Marshall. George Preston Marshall is the original owner and president from their inception in nineteen thirty two three years after this movie, until 1969, uh, he was the president and owner of the Washington Redskins. Uh, oh, my God. Who was famously racist. Uh, I can, and, unbelievable. I can't believe yeah. it. Uh, well, well, even more so. Um, like, there's, there's stories that justification that one of his business partners was part Sioux or something, and, and ultimately the name comes from the fact that they originated in Boston and, and share, there's a lot of apocryphal. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of justification, justification based it. bullshit, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, but what, one thing that does, that is definitely true is that, uh, one of the reasons that the Redskins, uh, stadium is called the RFK Memorial stadium, Robert F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. uh, is that, uh, it was built with city funds, and Washington D.C. Okay. is controlled by the federal government. Actually, yes. uh, and uh, RFK basically in '62, RFK issued him an ultimatum, Marshall an ultimatum, uh, saying either you've got to hire some black players, which Marshall had refused to do, or we are going to cancel your 30-year contract. Uh, for use of this space. Um, this was when he was attorney general. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's when, that's when Marshall finally decided that maybe he could hire a black player. Uh, but he had adamantly refused that, uh, wow. at any point prior. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, he and Brooks uh, dated 
uh, off and on until, uh, at, well, I say until as if it probably ended, but I don't know necessarily that it did end. Um, <clears throat> while she never worked in America again, I do believe she did move back to America, uh, but in the late 30s, he married another actress, um, Corinne Griffith, uh, <laughs> who referred to him is in print as the Marshal without a plan. Uh, he made all of his money uh, from inheriting his father's string of laundromats. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so George Preston Marshall, peripherally related to this film, not a great guy. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this week we've been talking about Pandora's Box, the 1929 German silent film uh, from uh George Wilhelm Pabst, G.W. Pabst. We will see another Pabst film uh, in about a year from now. We'll watch his uh, his version of Three Penny Opera, um, which was, uh, I believe, made in France, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, he, uh, I guess I, earlier when I said he, he did leave the country when the Nazis were coming to power and didn't return until 1939, and he made movies all over Europe until he got back, and a, and a few American films uh, eventually as well um i'm not sure what else we might watch for him mostly because of mistakes in the criterion website i can't <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bad website yeah, they're bad website uh but yeah uh brooks by the way uh was uh was frequently also romantically tied to uh to other actresses like i said she was openly bisexual um supposedly had a relationship with greta garbo at one point which is interesting too. Why did, I saw Greta Garbo's name show up some reference to this movie, and I don't remember what it I, was. I, I think, don't think that was it. I don't. I don't know what else it might have been. Um, I think like maybe she was like Garbo listed her as an influence or something. Also, maybe um, Brooks Brooks described herself as uh, queer and frequently called herself a pansy. Instead of openly identifying as as bisexual or a lesbian, but she did call herself queer and a pansy, which is interesting in its own right, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. By the way, I have an answer about what other Paps movies we have coming down the oh, pipe. Yeah, nine oh seven and nine oh eight are two Paps movies. We've got West Front, nineteen eighteen, obviously a, uh, I guess like a World War One movie, but then um, we also have. Kamerad Shaft, which I don't, uh, yeah, camera something, right? But uh, and then there's another one, yeah, yeah. Those are those are it. We have the one you named, and then those yeah. two way Three down in the hundreds. All right, so so uh, 15 years from now, we'll also watch some uh, some other Paps films. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, I just want to let you know that someday, no, it's true. Someday. It's true. Someday. Uh, no, I mean the movie is definitely interesting from uh, from a craft standpoint. I just wish that the storyline was more affirming uh, and less moralistically punishing. Yes, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, what are you gonna do? It's a it's a movie from nineteen twenty nine, I guess. I mean, I say that, I say that, and that suggests this. This is just the time period it's in. But Weimar, Weimar Germany, obviously wasn't that, right? So right. yes, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was making a movie that, that, in some ways, I suppose, may have been. I, he was speaking to a very specific audience, which right. was not necessarily the dominant audience of right. Weimar certainly not the dominant Germany. Yeah, certainly not the dominant audience. Weimar Berlin. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Um obviously also Germany between the wars had some uh had some things going on. So Right. Uh so yeah, there is the sort of conservatism that is reflected in this movie definitely picked up on other strands in the years surrounding this movie in different ways. Uh right. to the detriment of society the world over so yes uh yeah so anyway um still an interesting movie if not a phenomenally written movie <laughs> um right but yeah 
Uh, next week, we will be talking about a uh, film from 1991 uh, from Christophe uh, Kozlowski. Uh, made in France, Poland, and I think Sweden is also listed as a co-production company in this. Kozlowski, uh, uh, we'll definitely see other movies from uh, because he did the uh, the Three Colors trilogy after this, and then uh, did Decalogue, which we'll eventually watch as well prior to this. Uh, but this movie in particular, The Double Life of Veronique from 1991. Uh, we will see that next week, and we'll see you back. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oyatai Jorgen. And we'll see you next time. listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Owatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.